There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And... Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Stoops. And we're live, everybody. Finally, a Ducks win. This is the Forever Mighty Post Game Show with Patrick and Eddie. Eddie, holy hell, we've got some good news to talk oh, about. Man. This won't be a broken record show. It got a little bit hectic in the end there. I was starting to write up all the stuff for the show, saying, oh, the Ducks broke their seven-game losing streak and things that, you know, starting to turn a little bit around. And then, of course, Dubois scores with a couple seconds left for Oh man, I jinxed it, didn't I? It's going to be an eighth straight loss, and uh, I, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for an eighth straight loss, so thank God they won that game. Oh no, I jinxed it. I, uh, you know, the seats we sat in for the DePaul Curry retirement show. My buddy Elliot, you know, he and he and his uh, wife had you know given us those seats, and I messaged him tonight. I'm like, get the game. He's like, yeah. I was like, you're about to see the Ducks win, man, for the first time, and he's and he's all, thanks for <laughs> jinxing it. And then I'm like, whatever, they're going to win. Then Dubois scored, and he's like, "God damn it, Patrick, are you serious?" <laughs> he was. They lost happy. every game since I came down too. So since my trip down there, they had lost every single game since then. So I needed it to. Uh, I needed them to break the slump there. No, very well noted. The Ducks have not been playing well as of late. Um, it's been a brutal, brutal part of the end of October, and now we're into November. But uh, let's talk about tonight's game, man. Going into it, uh, no Getzloff, no Josh Manson. What is going on with Manson? Is it, I mean, I don't get it. I have no idea. Um, I, even when he got injured, it didn't seem like it was that severe. And then the fact that he left the game, now he hasn't played and you haven't really heard too much about it. I mean, the Ducks have been kind of quiet on uh, the injuries all season. They really haven't come out and said too much about it. We haven't heard really anything on Andre Kasha in a long time, other than the fact that I know concussions are weird and sometimes they could take a couple weeks, sometimes they could take months, but there really hasn't been an update on him at all. And Patrick Eves was, all we heard about him until he came back was he was skating and he was skating, things were looking better. And then all of a sudden he was back in the lineup for uh, last the, the game before this one. So I have no idea what's going on with Josh Manson. Uh, the fact that, you know, Walensky, Patterson, and Larson are still up Ooh. is a little bit surprising. Ooh. I thought it would, yeah, I thought it would be a not quick a return for him, but I guess not. Not a fan. No. Not a fan of this uh, this lineup still. Um, the fact that Doug squeaked this one out, though, I, I mean, they needed it. I don't care what you, if you look at the standings and you see the Jackets aren't the best team in the league. 
and they're not having the best time of this of uh, the year right now. Neither the Ducks, but these two points were crucial, and it's not only for the team, but honestly, this widespread panic amongst the uh, the fan base has been going on this past several weeks now, where there's been calls for fire Carlisle. We've been part of the calls for fire Carlisle. Uh, his yep. replacement, apparently, is some guy from Sweden that you and Jason are all on board with, as amongst uh, many other Ducks <laughs> fans. We'll get to that in the post game, but uh, it, it, it is much needed, and it, these, these two points just had to come eventually. Um, it was nice to see Gibby be in net for them because he's suffered the most so far this season, and the Ducks are able to climb back to 500. But no Getzloff either, uh, an upper body injury. No. I, I, he wasn't skating a warm up either. Mystery upper body injury too. We have no idea what's going on with him at all. How many seasons are we going to start with all these injuries? I feel like it's been the last three years. I I, I, I don't know. I, it, the fact that he finished last game, there was nothing nothing wrong with him. We didn't hurt anything. For everybody thought he was going to go today, and then all of a sudden he just wasn't out for warmups. Just wasn't there. He just he wasn't out skating at the beginning of the game. And then it, I guess it turns out that Sam Carrick was brought up to replace him. I I guess that's what the situation was. So they must have known about this before today, earlier today. That obviously wasn't uh, a thing they just found out. Like like when Perry was skating in warm-ups and injured his knee, it wasn't something like that. They must have known that he was going to probably be a game-time decision, so they would bring up Sam Carrick just in case. Yep. And then obviously that's, that, that ends up being what happens but it sucks when you don't hear about it until like the before the game starts and then you find out that he's out and the injuries just continue to build up that's just the way it's been it's been that way the whole season the ducks have faced this adversity it seems like every year for the past three or four years but let's get cracking in the first period uh nothing new going on early on the ducks get hemmed in their own zone yet again yet again larson takes a penalty two minutes to the box for holding um lindy gets a chance on the rush my boy hampus lenholm gets a chance but he misses Dubois, who is a major factor on yeah. both sides of this game for both, honestly, for the Ducks and for the Jackets. Dubois would sit here his first penalty. Ducks get a chance in the power play. Uh, Eves is the only one who kind of came close uh, in the early going here for the Ducks, but um, Corpusolo swallowed it up here. Yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't get too much going on the power play. And, and I mean, a lot of the focus was on the Ducks penalty kill on this game and, and I think they were rather okay at times but you have to remember the Blue Jackets penalty, uh, power play too is 29th in the entire league so it's yeah. not a great you know it's, it's good that the Ducks did well but it's not like you're going against the league's best but yeah on the power play I mean it's it's been a struggle for the Ducks all year. Eves had probably the only chance like you said on that power play um, but <laughs> Dubois I mean he gives the Ducks three straight power plays they don't make him pay he comes back later in the game and almost makes the Ducks pay getting both goals. It was a it was a game that was kind of all over the map for him. And he's a guy that is, you know, a player they really rely on, a guy that when you look back to where he was drafted third overall behind Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine, he's got, you know, two big shadows to kind of live up to and try and prove that he's just as good a player. And when he has games like this, he, he kind of can put himself, maybe not in that category, but close to it. I mean, let's be honest. There was only two goal scores in this game. Dubois yeah. on Cam Fowler. That's it. Made it easy for me. Yeah, made it easy to score, right? You, you checked the box score. You already knew who yeah. was up on on, on, uh, on the score sheet here. But uh, the first period, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it really wasn't anything significant going on, I feel like, for either team. Uh, the Jackets didn't get a lot of chances. The Ducks actually had an outstanding defensive first period. It helped by the penalties being taken. Point is Auberg. With a chance, in on, in on Coprasalo, gets it with the, open, open the five hole. Problem was, is the five hole was like 15 feet in front of the net, so it goes wide. Yeah. And the Ducks had a chance to go up one nothing there, but uh, luckily for the Jackets, they weren't able to score at that point. Yeah, I mean, Auberg probably had the best chance of the period, and I think that's when, especially how hot he's been, that's when you've kind of got to cash in on it. You would expect at least him, the way he's been playing, to cash in on uh, and, and I think he just overthinks it a little bit too much. Or maybe he, I don't think he expected Corpusal to bite that hard on that play because Corpusal stretches all the way out and allows Aubrey to put a five hole. But the problem is 
Corpusello's five hole is not facing the back of the net. He's facing the corner at that point, and it goes completely wide. If he waits a little bit longer, he could probably just throw that in over top of him, and it's a, it's a one nothing game. But I think that was the story of the first period. The Ducks were great defensively. They had a couple chances here or there where they couldn't finish. Uh, Coglano had a half breakaway where he just missed the far side post as well. So there was a couple chances they just couldn't finish. The Ducks just couldn't get on the board in the first period. I felt like it was probably – and I know I don't like to agree with the broadcast so much because you know how much I love Brian Hayward and John, John Hollers. But uh, oh, yeah. they honestly encapsulated it perfectly. The Ducks finished the first period with an 8-3 to three shot advantage, and it showed. The Ducks actually played defense in tonight's game. You didn't see a lot of chances where Gibby was hung out to dry. Um, yeah. I didn't really see anything, honestly, notably. And not notably from the big guns. When you look at a guy like Artemi Panarin, the Brad man, not getting his chances tonight. Um, he had a few later in the game and one that was taken away and rightfully so. But in the first period, I mean, the Ducks did their job. And I, I felt it was a great first period. It was one they needed against a team. And honestly, on paper and on ice tonight, a lesser opponent. They, they should have beat this team. Uh, it should never went to overtime. But thankfully, the Ducks got the two points. But uh, overall, in the first period, you feel the Ducks did their job, no? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, compared to the way they had started the last seven games, I think they did their job in the fact that they they outshot Columbus. It was a low shooting period for both teams, but you keep them down to three shots when we're used to seeing double digit in the first period from the last few games from from Anaheim. So, yeah, great a great effort in that sense. Um, you don't want to be Debbie Downer and say yeah, but it was against Columbus. But you kind of have to take that into factor a little bit and say yeah, it's a Columbus Blue Jacket. So take it with a grain of salt, but I think allowing, especially when you have a team that has the likes of Cam Atkinson and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Artemi Panarin and keeping them to only three shots through an entire period, it's great. And, and they did that through, I think they, it was three shots through about five minutes into the second as well. So just a, a great defensive effort. I don't know if it's going to last. We'll have to see when they go up against some much better opponents. They've got a back-to-back coming up next, so it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of continue those starts. I mean, a back-to-back against a team uh, starting off that lost their uh, their head coaching staff, uh, which we'll get to at the yeah. end of the show here, coming up Tuesday against the Kings. But that's that's a story for a later time on the podcast. Let's get started in the second period. Ducks' opening shift was excellent. I felt like the Ducks came out with fire in the beginning of the second period. Henrique denied and closed by Rowinski. He came all the way in and drive to the net, and it would end up working out later in the game for Henrique. But early on, Rowinski gets to stick on the puck denied ducks get their third power play as dubois takes a seat for the third time the fact this guy had any shifts after this yeah. would have been especially shocking. with john tortorella oh, i mean this yeah out. yeah if, if, if any coach in the league if you take three straight penalties in the first 25 minutes of the game i i felt like he was going to get benched i think it was kyle shohara on twitter said that he put a tweet saying in any in a beer league game he would be out because he had three penalties and you're done. So I'm surprised he was playing after that or even getting at least reps with the first line still. But obviously he showed uh, some faith there. Tortorella didn't and ended up working out, but that's ridiculous. I mean, they weren't good penalties either. They they were clear penalties that he took. So, Well, here's where the faith comes from. Uh, Dubois exits yeah. the box, gets a chance directly out of the penalty box. He comes out of the box, takes a drop pass from Boone Jenner, and is able to fire five hole on Gibby, who maybe was or maybe wasn't partially screened by Cam Fowler on the play. All of a sudden, it's one nothing yeah. Jackets. Not much you're going to do there. It's a good shot. It's on the rush. Fowler even tried to position himself uh, sideways and block his skate, so it can't go five hole on him. But it still finds its way through John Gibson, and we're, and the Ducks are facing down a one nothing deficit here early on in the second period. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not a great look for Fowler or Gibson. Uh, it's a bad effort, I think, from Fowler to close down the play. He, he just doesn't really know what he wants to do there. He kind of is playing the pass back to Jenner and playing the shot from Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he kind of get, gets mixed up and crosses his legs and just turns sideways. And, and in doing so, he kind of half screens John Gibson, so that's where you could maybe put some of the blame on Fowler. But I think that's a goal that, that Gibby has to have. No matter what, if, if you're getting screened by Fowler and not, I, I think he has to be a little more alert to that shot coming through. It's not like Dubois fakes the shot or it's it's a one-timer. I mean, he has time to, to set up and actually risk a shot on net. So 
I think if you're Gibby, you're going to want that one back. I, I think he should have been set up going to the down, down to the butterfly a little bit earlier to try and make an easy save because if he reacts a bit quicker to that, I think that's an easy pad save into the corner uh, and the Ducks are still tied at zero. But, I mean, all the credit to Dubois for kind of redeeming himself after those three penalties. And what are you going to do? It was a fast shot. It was a bang-bang play, I feel like, here. Uh, so, like you said, the Ducks go down one nothing in the beginning of the second period. Um, but the Ducks have been given chances. It's not like they haven't had them. I mean, Dubois sat in the box for six no. minutes, and the Ducks haven't been able to convert on the power play. The power play has been atrocious, uh, especially in this game. They haven't looked good at all. Um, but, you know, of course, our boy Kessler gets caught in front, decides to punch somebody in front of the net, uh, <laughs> knocks the helmet clean yeah. off his face, and also it's a power play Columbus. But the Ducks are able to get a rush on the penalty kill, and the Jackets take a slashing call. It's four on four, which would lead to the first goal of the game for the Ducks here. Raquel goes one-on-one with Ryan Murray. I don't know if people call this a pass or not. I think Raquel loses control of the puck at the right time, and it slides yeah. between everybody to a wide-open Cam Fowler, able to lift it over the pad of Corpusalo, and now it's 1-1. Cam Fowler with his first of the year, baby. Cam is on the board. It's Yeah, it's definitely a lucky pass for it to get through everybody. It is a great move by Ricardo Raquel, though. Uh, I mean, he makes him look silly by making that kind of toe drag and then it just goes right through uh new devara to camp fowler on the back post so i mean not much you can do you can't really credit anything it, it, it's ridiculous how lucky that that pass is to get through because not only does it go through new devara's legs he tries to close his feet to block it and it completely just misses the back heel of his skate and goes right to camp fowler but i, I mean again I don't want to be too critical of it because I think it was a great play by Raquel and Cam Fowler does a good job of pinching up in the play and being in an open spot there to put it in to the back of the net. So it, it was against the grain of play for them. They got a little bit lucky with that makeup call on, on David Savard um, and they, they tied up at one. So That's the way it goes. The Ducks were up in shots actually in the second period, 15-7. to seven. Not something we've seen a lot of Anaheim uh, in the early going this season. You know, through 14 games, they've been consistently outshot. But tonight, it was a different story for the Ducks. Um, I got to say, man, Cam Fowler, obviously, he's the one who solved the riddle for offensively for Anaheim here. But you can't Apparently. talk about anything um, without without acknowledging his, his defensive play. I know he does come in on the back check here with a hell of a poke check on Anthony Duclair, had a driving play. I mean, you got to talk about the skating at Cam Fowler here. Duclair is yep. not a slouch when it comes to skating. He's a good skater. He's a speedy guy. That's why people like him. It's why he hasn't been bounced out of the league yet. Um, Fowler was a good, I don't know, two, three strides behind him in the neutral zone and was able to come all the way up. He takes the inside track, of course, but is able to poke the puck off of Duclair's stick there. Um, a lot has been made of Cam Fowler's offensive game tonight, clearly, but, I mean, you can't, you can't slight his defensive game tonight. No, it's something we haven't seen from him all season, really, just being engaged in the play defensively. He's had a lot of the team, including him, have had a lot of times where they've been caught puck watching, and they really haven't had that effort in getting back. So it's nice to see him finally use his skating ability to his advantage. I mean, that's the, the one plus that he has on pretty much every player in the Ducks lineup is he's one of the quickest skaters, especially on the blue line. So and, and again, like, yeah, and like you said, Duclair's not a, a slow player. And being able to catch him when he's a good two or three feet behind him and make a play there, I mean, that could be 2-1 Columbus if he doesn't make that play. So great effort for him. He made some mistakes in this game. I'm not going to say it was a perfect game defensively no. from him. Uh, but when you're at least trying to make those efforts and, and trying to engage defensively, I think it's it's a great effort all around. I mean, he's easily, not just with the hat trick, but he's easily first star of the game. No, he's been amazing tonight. As you'll see here, just later on in the second period, Cam Fowler is able to make it 2-1. A great shift by the Eves line, honestly. And then Lundstrom yep. was able to find Fowler in the slot, the upper slot, and it's posting in, baby. High slot sh chance for Cam Fowler. Makes no mistake, buries it. And uh, Corpusella didn't have a chance, man. It's 2-1 Ducks. Eves doesn't even get a point on this play, but he is probably the guy that creates this and, and ends up getting this goal for, for the Ducks because he's the one who forechecks creates the turnover behind the net, and then he goes right to the front of the net and screens Corpusalo. And, yeah, it's a perfect shot by Cam right off the post and then pretty much the only place he could have put it to put it into the back of the net. But I think Patrick Eves, one of his better games tonight for sure, and especially this is probably the best play he's made all season, just being able to win the puck behind the net and then going right to the screen in front. But 
again, I mean, you had Eves playing with the two kids in this game, which was unique. He was playing with Sherwood and Lindstrom. Lindstrom finally playing back at center for one of only, I think, three or four times this year where they've utilized him at his natural position. And it's a great pass from him. I, I'm interested to see if he sticks around. He obviously needs to get on the score sheet a little bit more. That's going to help because it is a good pass. But uh, a great effort all around to get the uh, the leading goal in this one. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I went back and looked at that play here a second ago, and I watched that it was Eves that fed it in front of Sherwood. Because in my head, I was like, how did Eves not get a point on that play? But he was the one who did the, 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 you know, the, all the uh, forechecking and digging along the wall behind the net, centered it in front, Eves pass it in front to Sherwood. Sherwood like, kind of deflects the puck to the wall, and that's where Lundestrom was able to give it to Fowler. So, great work there, man. And, you know, like we've already talked about, Cam Fowler makes no mistake. It's 2-1. to one. But it, we wouldn't get to the end of the second period without an amazing save by John Gibson on the penalty kill. Cam Atkinson with every second of the day to walk in on Gibby. Gibby's able to flash the left pad out, man, and keep it 2-1. to one. What a hell of a save on Cam, At- uh, Cam Atkinson, no? Yeah, and it's not like he's he's making a save on a guy who's not notorious for putting the back the puck in the back of the net. I mean, that's probably maybe other than Artemi Panarin, the worst guy you would want to give that type of opportunity to when he's alone in front of John no John doubt. Gibson. I mean, yeah, I, I mean it's it's an amazing save, and it really wouldn't be a Ducks game this season if we didn't have to talk about John Gibson bailing out the Ducks and making a great save, especially late in the, the second period as well. I mean, if the Jackets get this game, they probably have all the momentum going into the third period. They would have tied the game late. It would have been against the grain of play because the Ducks were playing a good second period. So, again, John Gibson bailing the matter wasn't his best game, but when you're making saves like these, you're still keeping your team in it. No, and you have to. You figure that's going to happen at some point in the game where Gibson's going to have to step up and be the number one guy. I mean, that's just what the Ducks have relied upon all season. And without the captain um, on the offensive side of things, you kind of figured – with the blue line also being sparse, that John Gibson would have to make an appearance as he has all year. He keeps the Ducks in it. His second period ends 2-1 to one, Anaheim, um, being still the shot total leader, out shooting the Jackets 20-14 to 14 total in this game at the end of the second period. Heading into the third, though, the Ducks, you know, still had some time left to kill on that Hampus-Lenholm penalty there, um, which was very questionable according to the broadcast. But uh, it doesn't matter what it was. The Ducks were able to easily kill off the fifth power play for Columbus. But did the Ducks take the sixth penalty as Cam Fowler takes a slashing call? And then you're looking at Gibby again, man. This is where Gibby was going to shine in the third period. John Gibson making saves in the penalty kill. Uh, he's able to stop Cam Atkinson again on a one-timer. I mean, I know these weren't the most spectacular saves we've been seeing uh, for the Ducks no. and for John Gibson this season. But... I mean, these are the kinds of games you want to see. These are the kind of saves that you want to see Gibby having to make. He hasn't had to make 50 stops in a game, 20 shots in a period. This is the kind of John Gibson we want to see night in and night out, no? Yeah, and, and I mean, they're important saves nonetheless. If they're not highlight reel saves, they're still important saves. You know, we talked about Columbus having not the greatest power play being ranked 29th. It's probably going to be – they probably went down to maybe 30th or 31st Thanks, after this game going – yeah, going 0 for 6. But you give any team six chances on the power play, they're going to make you pay unless you have a goaltender like John Gibson in that who's bailing you out. So I think, again, a great effort by John Gibson. But the thing that's worrying for me is you can't do this on a nightly basis. I mean, if you give up six power plays to a team who's any bit decent on the power play this year, this could be a very different game for the Ducks. I mean, Columbus, at least for the first three or four, could not get anything going. They didn't even have a shot on their first power play. So it worries me a little bit going forward that if they continue to play a little bit ill-disciplined, as dumb as some of the it's going to come back to bite you. So I think they've got to kind of try and curb that discipline a little bit going into the next few games. Are we not trying to be positive, Eddie? Let's be positive. We gotta win. We gotta be critical. I mean, yeah. we're always critical. We're we always gotta critical. barely gotta win. <laughs> the Ducks were able to squeak out of that sixth power play by the Columbus Blue Jackets here. Gibby making up the saves there on the PK. I felt like the Jackets' power play, honestly, in the third period, and the Jackets overall in the third period. You're talking about score effects here. They're gonna get the majority of the chance. The Ducks aren't forechecking as hard, playing more of a defensive yeah. neutral zone game. It makes a lot of sense. But uh, the Jackets appeared to score and tie the game um, before they actually tied the game. Artemi Panarin 
I mean, caught John Gibson standing up, not paying attention somehow, and then he celebrated like he scored the goal for the to you know to win a Stanley Cup playoff game, which was yeah. just absurd to me. Clearly, Larson was tripped in the corner, and uh, Winberg would be called off for the tripping call. But I mean, Panarin literally. Did you see him score and he, how excited he was? Yeah. I, I, it's hilarious to me in the age <laughs> of replay that any player decides to celebrate before they look at the both benches and you see that no one's calling for a review and everything. No one waves it off. But uh, luckily, the Ducks, uh, you know, escape here with a, with a tripping call there on Winberg in the, in the corner. He was the only one, I think, out of everybody in the ice that didn't realize that it was a, a tripping penalty behind the net. Because John Gibson obviously knew because he didn't even react. He was watching Larson get dumped behind the net. Everybody around the play realized. I think even the guys at the point for Columbus kind of realized that. Panarin was the only guy who wasn't watching the play. I don't know what he was doing. He was focused Stand on just rushes. getting to the front of the net. Yeah, <laughs> he's just coasting along, hoping that the puck comes onto his stick. But yeah, I mean, the, his celebration, I, I mean, he's been a part of some very good teams, and this was an important game. But the way he celebrated oh, yeah. was, yeah, like they won the cup. And obviously, it doesn't end up counting, but just, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a tough play. I thought originally it was going to go against the Ducks. I didn't think he was going to wave it off. The ref had a little bit of a delayed reaction to that where he comes in, and the whistle is blown after the puck goes into the net. Obviously, it doesn't matter because there was a penalty, but. Where's the call when I think who I don't know who took the penalty behind the net. It was Wenberg, right? So yep. where's the call on the penalty when Wenberg touches the puck to get it out to Panarin or when Panarin touches the puck initially? It was he one of those was like the, so delayed. I don't think the referees saw it until they looked down like, oh, why is Larson on his ass? Oh, he I feel like if it doesn't go into the I feel like if it doesn't go into the back of the net, maybe it, I'm not saying it doesn't get called, but there's a more of a chance that it might not have gotten called. It's an obvious call, especially if it goes in the back of the net. But I feel like none of the officials really saw what happened and just looked at the reaction from, from the Ducks players and from John Gibson, even from Wenberg himself, and just kind of assumed that, yeah, that, that was probably a penalty. I don't know. It just The way they reacted didn't really seem like they saw what actually happened. No, I would agree with that. I felt like it was, it was, it was really delayed. But it might as well have counted because as we get along here in the third period, the Ducks end up getting hemmed in. Uh, you see Corpusalo get called off with a little over a minute and change left in the game. So the Jackets with the six-on-five advantage here. And they would end up getting the goal, none other than Dubois. Why wouldn't he get it? He already spent so much time in the box, probably half of his time on ice. You sat in the penalty box tonight. But he's the only one who's able to score the two goals here for the Jackets. Slaps home a rebound. John Gibson really no chance here. And also this 2-2. And I'm reliving a nightmare against Philly. And I'm pissed <laughs> off. I slam yeah. my hat literally on the desk here as I watch the game. I'm watching it on a stream. It's like, are you kidding me? I have to talk about another loss. Is exactly what threw my head here. Uh, fortunately, I was saved by that. But what do you think about the goal here by Dubois? It's. I don't want to say it's Cam Fowler's fault no! necessarily. Why? How would you but say? But he has a chance to clear the puck from in front of the net, and he kind of just leans on his stick and prevents himself to get it. I mean, Gibby's trying to cover it with his glove. He misses it. Then yeah, Cam he Fowler, missed it. I think Cam Fowler gets a little bit maybe thrown off from that, but he's got to do a better job because he has at least two or three seconds to clear that out before Dubois comes in from behind him, and he doesn't really do it quick enough to get it out. I mean, it's not solely on him. It was a six on five, so you, you really can't, you know, somebody's always going to be open. Dubois was the open man there where he just kind of skates in behind Fowler, but Fowler has more than enough time to get it out. So I, I can't, I, he scored a hat trick, so I can't be too harsh on him. But that's a play I think if, if you're Fowler, you're going to want, you look at that and want to be able to adjust to that and get that out faster. You're not going to talk about the Ford not coming back in time and letting uh, Dubois get around him. I get it. You know, yeah. Fowler, I mean, it's he's not... American. <laughs> you know, he's an American defenseman. I mean, why would a Canadian appreciate uh, an American defenseman in this game? You, you got to find yeah. a hole in his game when he gets a hat trick, but uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, he had a he had a great game overall. <laughs> I can't I can't complain too much, but he's uh he's kind of been on my shit list all season with some of the plays that he's made with with the puck watching and some of the things that he's done. So I'm glad offensively he got into this game. The play with Duclair was a you know maybe a, a turning point for him defensively, but we've talked about it for most of the season. His pairing with Josh Manson has been awful, and his play as, as an individual hasn't been that great. So hopefully this is a great a game that maybe boosts his confidence and gets things going for him. I'm not too worried about him getting things going offensively as much as I just want him to shore things up on the defensive side of the puck. Hopefully he can do that because the Ducks need that. I mean, that, Hampus Lindholm's playing 20 minutes. 
at five on five in this game, six minutes more than anybody else. Uh, somebody else has to step up and kind of share that burden. He can't do that on a nightly basis. I mean, he can because he's the best defenseman on Anaheim. I well, mean, he, I'm just saying. He can, just saying. but he shouldn't have to. He no, have no. To. I mean, yeah. only one player in this game played 30 o- over 30 minutes, and I, I don't want to mention his name, but it was Hampus Lindholm. Um, going into the start of overtime, this game could have ended very quickly. I Can you help me out? Who the hell had the chance here in front of Gibson? Gibson makes an outstanding save in the beginning of overtime here. And it's always that kind of that kind of synergy that happens where it goes one way, back and goes the other way, where the Ducks are able to solve Corpusal on the other side here. Cam Fowler, the hat trick, Henrique driving the net. Everyone thinking Henrique's going to drive and shoot. He passes the puck cross ice. Fowler has all the time in the world to hammer it home. Ducks win hat trick. Cam Fowler, but to go back because I know we've been talking about Fowler all night. Do you know who had that who had that shot on Gibby? I don't. I don't. Neither. It happened so quick. It turned around so quick for me. I didn't get a chance to see it either. Well, I remember because I I was grabbing the clip for the overtime goal, and then I was trying to go back and see who had made, who Gibby made the save on. Even just looking who was on the ice for the Blue Jackets, I still couldn't figure out who it had. I mean, no matter who it was, it was a great save by Gibby to really keep them in that game. And then Adam Henrique gets his uh, 300th point. On this play, too, on the drive to the net, Cam Fowler becomes the, was it the third Ducks defenseman to ever score a hat-trick? I believe they said, and and um, the first this season, first of the career of his career for him. But uh, what a game. I mean, what a game for Cam Fowler, at least offensively in this one. Gets the hat-trick. Who else but him? Honestly, I didn't know who scored it at first, but who else but, uh, but Cam to get the game-winning goal? Who was the second player uh, to get a hat-trick as a defenseman in Ducks history? Would it, it was Hampus Lindholm last yep. year, wasn't it? Yep. No, it was. I just wanted yeah. to say it. That's all. Just wanted, just wanted to throw that one out there for you. <laughs> I'm not disputing Hampus Lindholm <laughs> and, and how no, important I've been he is fighting that, I've been fighting for that guy for the last two years. I'll get a defense when he is. No, but it's all about Cam tonight, man. Honestly, Cam looked good. I felt like, honestly, he didn't have a perfect game like you said. But uh, yeah. he did have great defensive moments as well as offensive moments. And he was definitely the key to this game, going post and into the second goal. And then finishing up here on the rush on the three-on-three. Henrique able to get the puck all the way across. I mean, everyone was sold on him crashing it and trying to bury it, and he sends it across to wide open Cam Fowler to finish the game. Ducks take the lead, honestly win the game, and it's great, but are we really celebrating? Let's let's bring this height <laughs> of happiness back to reality. I don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer because obviously we're on a we're on a uh, you know, we broke the the losing streak, now we're on a winning streak with one game. Ducks finish shots on goal, thirty to twenty-six. Chances are in their favor. Shots in the favor. The game scores in the favor. The play of their team was much better. They're still missing all these veterans. You go up down the lineup and pick any position. You're like, yeah, they're missing this guy. This guy missing, you know, Getzloff missing Kasha, uh, missing Perry, missing Manson along this lineup. And you're like, there's plenty of room for improvement. But Eddie, are the Ducks ready to turn this season around 15 games in, or do we have more to be concerned about? I think we have more to be concerned about. It it, it was probably one of their better games of the season. I think that first period was was probably their best period all year. So there are some bright spots. Um, and, and he did this without Ryan Getzlaff. He did this without still Andre Kasha. You, uh, you did this without Josh Manson. So it, it is a little bit of a bright spot to look at that and look who wasn't in the lineup and you're able to get things done. It wasn't a perfect game. So there are still, still some things that you have to look at again. It was against the blue jackets who are struggling this year. You still gave them six power play opportunities. And the fact that their power play is anemic kind of helped you escape that flaw in this game. So there were some, some things that went well. There's some things that went bad. I think that the big bonus for the ducks is they weren't outshot in this game. They kept Columbus to only 26 shots. Obviously, Columbus was going to always dominate that third period. The Ducks are, are a team that generally sits back when they have a one-goal lead going into the third period. We kind of knew that was going to happen, but you got to take some positives from it for sure. Yeah, and, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it can continue. They're going to have some tougher opponents coming up in the next couple of games. Um, maybe the Kings aren't a tougher opponent, but that those games are always fire. They're always feisty games, so that that'll be an interesting one to see if they can maybe stay a little bit more disciplined in that game and not give the Kings a ton of power play opportunities. But 
I'm I'm generally optimistic, and I'm 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 obviously happy that the Ducks snapped their seven-game losing streak. But there's there's still a lot of things that need to be addressed. Yeah, um, we could talk about the pairings, but the pairings were kind of uh, veteran and then rookie. Uh, you look at one half and the other here. It just seems that the Ducks didn't have a whole lot to work with uh, coming into tonight's game with all the injuries across the board. But they made do with what they had. Uh, they defeated a team that they were supposed to beat. So it's good they were able to take those two points. And, you know, if this is against a team last season, like, I don't know, let's say Detroit, you'd be like, yeah, of course they won. They're supposed to win this game. Um, just yeah. take the positives out of it. They didn't lose to a team or get outshot or outchanced by a team they're supposed to beat here. But honestly, I had Columbus, you know, picked much higher this season than the way they've been playing. Yeah. I think a lot of people did. But uh, considering where the Ducks are at, the fact they'll pick up these two points is very important. And I don't want to shy away from the fact that this is important for the confidence in the team, um, the attitude in the locker room, and the overall outlook going forward about being able to break that losing streak. But uh, let's take a look at these new pairings really quickly here. Um, I don't feel like it's something that's sustainable moving forward. And I I'm not one to say that the Ducks think so either. But what was your overall feel of the Ducks defensively tonight? Uh, yeah, these aren't going to be pairings we see too often. I think they're the reason we saw a lot of these guys together is because so many players are out of the lineup, and and specifically because Josh Manson is out of the lineup, and you've got to have Larson, Walensky, and Pedersen in, in there. So some things are going to be mixed up for sure. Um, you had Pedersen play most of the night with Montour, which actually ended up being the best pairing of the night, despite Cam Fowler getting a hat trick. They were... Uh, on the plus side of, of high danger chances for plus side of scoring chances for plus side of shot attempts they were pretty much doing everything right except getting on the score sheet but i, I was generally happy with that pairings play uh, but once again i mean there were guys pretty much all over the place i think it was i think patterson or maybe it was cam played with pretty much everybody for at least a couple minutes tonight the same goes for hampus Lindholm, but he also played over 20 minutes at five on five so there was definitely going to be bound to at different times to play with with different line mates but he played better seems like they're, uh jacob larson by the way go figure yeah and and again i, I was hoping so much that jacob larson was going to come up and prove uh why the ducks draft him in the first round but he, he hasn't he wasn't horrible that no he's not horrible no no but he does he's not what we we've expected from when he got drafted and and what we've kind of expected for him to to really become in this lineup he was supposed to be that guy on the third uh, the third left pairing was going to be Lindholm Fowler and Jakob Larson for the next you know 10 years in Anaheim and they were going to be a formidable pairing on the or a formidable setup on that left side then you're going to have Manson and Montour and at the time Vatanen on the right side and you were going to be set but yeah I, I don't know I haven't liked his play per se the pairings as a whole I guess I would say were interesting they they weren't great <laughs> but yeah, but they, honestly, they weren't great. It was interesting to see different guys mixed up. You know, we didn't see uh, Lindholm go with Montour. We didn't see Fowler go with Montour. Like I, th I thought you would see, and you would. The deduction normally overload that one pairing when they're they're so limited. And then they you get like a Larson Walensky bottom pairing, but they really tried to split up the players. And, and I believe the night started with having Pedersen and Montour. You had Lindholm and Larson, and you had Fowler and Walensky. So they really tried to put one guy on each pairing, uh, one top four guy on each pairing, which which is interesting. It's something they don't necessarily do, and I liked it for the most part. But uh, it's it's not something you can sustain going forward, obviously. And when Josh Manson comes back, we're going to see a wrench thrown into the mix and probably see Linton back with Montour and Fowler back with Manson, unfortunately. Well, let's 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 uh, go back a couple of seasons here. Let's go back in our time machine and. Uh... Let's take a look at uh, what we all complained about back, you know, a few years ago. Why does Bruce Boudreaux always throw the line blunder? Why is he always <laughs> mixing up the lines? Why are they never the same that works? Why is he always doing these things in their lineup? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, that's what's happening right here. You could call it injury. You could call it whatever you want. Randy Carlisle uh, has not done what's worked defensively since we started the season when everyone was healthy on the back end. Um, Lindholm is, is clearly, in my opinion, many others, the best defensive defenseman. You want to throw Cam Fowler as the best offensive defenseman or Montour. I get it. I still think that uh, Lindholm is the most complete defender on the Ducks. He's a two-way guy. But uh, to me, defensively, he is the best. 
Um, to, to pair him with another rookie, I don't know what Rick Carlisle's doing, especially with a rookie that uh, has not really proven himself at the NHL level. I mean, why not just pair him with a, on a lower pair of Pedersen and give uh, someone like Lindholm a more well-known defender? I don't want to beat too much into this just because we're coming off a win tonight, but I hope that we see a better pairing um, for the Ducks moving forward here, regardless of Manson's in the lineup or not, uh, to give a veteran another rookie that hasn't proven himself who's supposed to be here, uh, you know, an opportunity tonight is kind of a rough call for Hampus Lindholm, I feel like. Yeah, but Hampus Lindholm always gets kind of propped with guys to pump up their numbers, it seems like. He's that designated guy that if you can try and try and maybe get two decent pairings, Lindholm gets thrown with whoever is the sixth guy and is, is forced to kind of hold that guy up and, and basically be a one-man pairing for most of the game, which he was kind of tasked with doing in this game. We've seen it multiple times in the past. But, I mean, if you're going to have to have one guy do that on this team, you would want it to be Hampus Lindholm, I guess, right? It, the only other option is is you have Lindholm with somebody who can complement him and you have a really strong pairing, and then you just bottom out that, that bottom pairing and play them only seven minutes of a night. So it, it all depends on which way you want to go. Obviously, the Ducks wanted to go with three equally strong pairings in this one, so they gave... Uh, Lindholm arguably the toughest assignment in putting him with Jakob Larson um, and he made the best the best of it I, th- I think he was probably the second best defenseman on the night behind Cam Fowler um, and only really again because of Cam Fowler scoring the hat trick that you you have to put him in front of Lindholm but I think Lindholm's underrated in the amount of work he does for this team I mean just the fact again that he played six minutes more than anybody at five on five just shows you how much work the Ducks are asking this guy to do especially with Josh Manson out of the lineup yeah, and then you pair him with a guy like uh, Jacob Larson, and, and you know that li- that line was out, was out chance two to one. Scoring yeah. chances uh, against that line were brutal, um, but that's just called Hampus Lindholm picking up uh, the slack there for Larson, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, you, you have to put the rookie with somebody, and I guess they wanted him with a with a veteran who's the best two way guy on the team defensively. So those pairings, I, I like the Ducks win clearly. I, I still have a problem with the pairings here. I wish that they would take a different route going into next game. And honestly, I thought uh, if there was a loss tonight, we would see another firing tomorrow morning. But the Ducks are able to squeak out that two uh, two points tonight, Eddie. I don't think we're going to see a firing here. Um, not like what we saw in L.A. But before we get to that, I think we need to talk about Maxime Comtois. He's skating again. There was a possibility of him being in the lineup tonight. Um uh, have they been clear about what's bothering him? Is this the lower I don't body? think so. Pulled muscle, most likely. A strain, a groin strain. I mean, something. They've been really, really mum on this, but uh, Maxim Comtois is still with the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, it's a good sign that he's skating. Again, a lot of people thought when, I think, Cali Costello got sent right back down after playing one game that it was going to be Maxim. Yeah, everybody thought Maxim Comtois was going to be back, and then people thought maybe... When the, I think uh, Elliot Tiefert or somebody put up a, a post saying that he likely wasn't going to play. Um, and then there was rumors that maybe Nick Ritchie would come off the IR and he was going to play. And, and then it turns out they brought up Sam Carrick. So then people thought that maybe uh, Sam Carrick was going to play for one of those guys or for somebody else that was injured. And then we find out before the game that Ryan Getzlaff is injured. And that's really why Sam Carrick was brought up. So we kind of were on a journey from the moment that uh, they tweeted out that Maxim Comtois was skating again. It'll be great to get him back in the lineup. Uh, I really want to see more of this kid and really see if he can he can start to contribute on a, on a consistent basis for a longer period of time. And we've only seen a small sample size from him, and he's done a lot of things right. He's put up the points. He, he's taken advantage of the opportunity he's been given. But I, I need to see more from him because he, he hasn't shot the puck nearly enough. Uh, he has an unsustainable shooting percentage at this point, and, and it's something that I want to see play out over a longer period of time to see if he is a guy that is going to be con- able to contribute over an entire season-long set of games. So we'll see. Uh, I, I want him to come back and, and contribute, but the Ducks have that option that if he is slowing down by the 41-game mark that they can send him back and not uh, he won't be a UFA one year sooner if they do that. So I, I'm interested to see how that goes. I'm sure they do that. I, I can't imagine to keep him down here long enough for that to expire. But yeah, getting getting past the current lineup, and we've we've been calling for a coaching change. And I say we, meaning our show, not me. Uh, in particular, so just me. 
No, I mean, I've been saying we should have a coaching change, but not in particular what you've been wanting. Um, yeah. Eddie, for all intents and purposes, has been the the, the driver behind the the higher Gronborg movement. Uh, the coach out of Sweden here, um, who's coached numerous players out of the Anaheim Ducks lineup. Uh, he's a world junior champion. Am I correct? Uh, he's also yeah. won at the international level. So successful. But uh, tell us the idea behind the movement here to get Gronborg in, in Anaheim. Well, it, it started, I think we had it as a question that we missed on one of our previous shows. And then we answered on the next show. We had Jens Lindbergh who brought him up to us and brought him to our attention as a, as a guy that I hadn't really ever heard about and a guy that was looking for an NHL gig. And, and yeah, I looked more into the fact that he was a guy who was looking for an NHL job throughout the summer. He was rumored to maybe be going to Ottawa at some point, to Buffalo when they were looking for a coach, to Carolina when they were trying to replace Bill Peters. And, and then, of course, he doesn't end up getting a job. He sticks with the Swedish national team isn't doing anything at this point. We'll see if he if he's going to still be coaching them at the World Juniors, but he's kind of moved on to the the full national team. He coached the the Olympic Games. They won a silver medal, won the World Championships, got gold there. He's won a gold at the World Juniors. So he's kind of been all around Sweden's national team for about the last, I think, seven years where he started as a scout back in 06 07 so he's really been a part of growing all the the swedish players we know especially the players on the ducks so when you look at silverberg and hampus lindholm and ricard raquel i mean he's worked with all of these guys at some point in their career so i i think it's an interesting option to go it's not a traditional one by any means and i think that's probably some of the things that you and other people have wrong with it is it's a guy who has no nhl experience he's coached in the national system for so long uh, his experience before that was in the NCAA and and coaching uh, or assistant coach for uh, one season in the WHL. So he doesn't have the traditional resume you expect from a coach that makes a transition to the NHL. Normally, you see a guy who has either coached a Calder Cup winning team in the, in the AHL, where he's promoted or just been promoted within the system, like a Dallas Eakins would be if he was to get promoted. Or you usually see these guys who've had a couple of successful seasons in the NCAA who make their way to the NHL like Dallas did and like uh, New York Rangers did in the offseason. So a, a different route, I think, but one that would be worth exploring. I, I think he would bring a different style of game from what I've read up on him. Maybe one that you don't necessarily see in the NHL right now. And again, just the familiarity with some of these players, I think, is, is huge. I mean, the familiarity with coaching... Uh, Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm and Jakob Silverberg, obviously not on a regular basis, so it's not something that uh, isn't going to contribute too much to that factor. But I, I like the things that he brings or could bring to an NHL team, and, and hopefully the Ducks, if that was the case. But are we at that point? I mean, are we really at that point where we have to look at coaches that don't have NHL experience? When you see this roster full of vets and a mix of young guys coming up right now where uh, the Ducks have, on paper, if, if, as we've all been barking at, um, you know, the, the casual fan and, you know, the, you know, the NHL media, how good this team is defensively and goaltending. We just need to work on our forwards a little bit, but everyone else is really, really good on paper. We have a chance here. Um, I don't really feel like a coaching change to a guy who only has international experience is the right move by the Ducks. I feel like this signals too much of a rebuild. This is too much of, hey, uh, we're so out of whack. We're going to go ahead and take a guy who you've seen a few times in your career um, because of your nationality and going to throw him into a system on a smaller rink, smaller system scale, and not have any coaching experience at NHL level and try to make it work. I get everybody wants change. And as much as I don't want to agree with Chris Smith, who's a buddy of mine, who <laughs> I disagree with constantly in chat and constantly in life, I, I felt the same way. I, I think this move is a, is a little too aggressive. It's way too aggressive for the Ducks to take this chance right now. Um, they have an opportunity here to get rid of Randy Carlisle, which I'm pretty much 100% for. Uh, he doesn't really know how to, to, to manage his team into a faster quote-unquote team. There wasn't enough roster turnover for me to feel like it's the player's fault. It, it's the system to a degree. Yeah. 
But you can't deny the aspects of Bob Murray's contracts that are having a drag effect. So I feel like an NHL coach could come in here and figure this out. I don't really think an international guy can come in and solve all the Ducks' problems. As much as I agree that his beard's beautiful and having another Swede in Orange County is a good thing. I know I'm being yeah. long-winded here. I just feel like an NHL coach is better suited right now. Yeah, and I, and I tend to agree with that. And and I think in an interim basis, Dallas Eakins is, is the likely option to get called up and probably the best option to get called up and, and come in on that interim basis and see how he can do. Uh, I mean, if let's just say Randy Carlisle, if he was to get fired next week and Dallas Eakins is to come up, that's a long enough period of time, I think, to see what he can do with the team that he has. I, I think that in the, in the offseason, you can sit back, reassess. Do we want to have Dallas Eakins as our head coach? Do we want to sign him to a long-term deal and, and have that as, as our option going forward? Or do we think we should look elsewhere? And then at that point, you'll have different guys who are available. You'll see, obviously, some teams will make decisions in, in the offseason as well if they don't make the playoffs or, or if they do and don't go as far as they'd like and yeah. uh, making possible coaching changes. But I think having that guy in, in Ricard Gromberg as an option if you decide to go that route in the offseason. I think nothing can hurt from that. I think it's always good to have that maybe wild card option in your coaching decision and, and maybe deciding to go that route if, if it comes to it because I think obviously Dallas Eakins is probably first on their list right now. It's easy to do. It's something that makes sense. It doesn't really stir the pot too much during the regular season. But you look, I, I mean, even looking at what L.A. did and going to Willie Desjardins, I believe he was just a free agent. I don't think he was obviously not coaching anywhere at the time. They were able to hire him right off the bat. Yes, he has former NHL experience in the league, but they didn't promote from within. They went elsewhere. So, of course, there's tons of opportunities the Ducks could take in, in different coaches who are available, including, I don't think they would go this route, but now John Stevens, of course, is available. But no. Likely, no, I'm not saying they should or they would, but I mean, there's plenty of guys who are out there. People have brought up Sutter, which I don't think. Oh, no. I don't think, do one, he even wants to coach again in the National Hockey League. He's won pretty much everything you could win, so I don't really think he's coming back. But it just speaks to the amount of possibilities the Ducks could go in. And, again, I'm, I'm going along on this topic here, but I think Dallas Eakins is a likely option. But I think just keeping a couple of those guys in mind, especially Gronberg, and what he could potentially – bring this to this team that's different from maybe what a lot of other teams have seen i understand the idea but i just can't get behind an on nhl guy taking over this team this team is not a band of nobodies uh there's a lot of veterans guys who have won who want to be here when again uh it's a good mix i i feel like he could come in um eakins and make a difference um whether it be small or large would be you know waiting to be seen because you already have Marty Wilford and Mark Morris and making decisions here on the on uh, the assistant coaching side of things. And we've seen things not go 100% correct there for the Ducks. But um, when you're talking about a guy like, uh, <laughs> like Suter or Sutter, Daryl Sutter coming out of the bench, people who are joking about that make me laugh. A guy like Elaine Vigneault, uh, no, he, he likes the vets way too much. You'd play them over everybody else in the lineup. He's notorious for that. You can't see Elaine Vigneault coming over and, and doing this. Uh, for the team, I, I I really don't see any guy like that taking over. I, it's it's going to be Dallas Eakins. If, if there's a coaching change, it's Dallas Eakins, and yeah. that's you can't look any further than that. Switching gears though to what happened in L.A., um, I I actually thought about it a lot. I had a really long drive back from the Sequoia <laughs> National Forest today. Uh, I was out there with some buddies, but a uh, long time thinking about it. It came across my feed as you and Jason were talking about it. My first thought immediately was, why wasn't Rob Blake fired? Why? How are you going to look at this? Because never fired first. Uh, okay. Is it just that, or is it the fact that it's Rob Blake? Uh, you put a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's probably both. Uh, you put a guy who's beloved by the franchise in charge of making huge decisions for this team. They didn't retool properly, in my, in my opinion. So you what? You changed John Stevens off this team and the coaching staff. That's great. You still have a slow aging core. It's not going to do anything. That's yeah. the problem I kind of could see happening in Anaheim. You fire Randy Carlisle. Uh, you have a great defensive uh, you know, side, of, side of the puck here with you know John Gibson and, and our, our top four being looking really good. But you look at the, the offensive side of things, you're like, holy hell, we have some work to do here. I don't know if we can solve our offensive problems. And maybe the new coach doesn't have an easiest time either. But 
looking back at the LA side of things, I feel like it was more Rob Blake than John Stevens. I think John Stevens is more or less fired because you can't fire Rob Blake. Yeah, but is Rob Blake really to blame for those contracts that were put into place? I, I believe most of them were signed by Dean Lombardi, were they not? Well, you can't then, fire Dean Lombardi right now, can you? Yeah, but I, no, but I mean, is it's not it's not Rob Blake's fault that he kind of inherited this team that was already going to be in cap trouble or, or be have, having issues with their lineup because of those contracts that have been signed. It's not necessarily his fault either. And I don't think, again, it's, it's John Stevens' fault. Uh, this team, especially on the, you're looking at Jonathan Quick, already being injured earlier in the season, missing a few games, and then now he's out for indefinitely, which they're saying somehow. I don't understand how they're saying it's only going to be three to six weeks. The guy just had knee surgery. I would think he would be out for at least two to three months. But no matter what, he's the longer he's out of lineup, the more the Kings are going to struggle. to rely on he's been good in some of the games he's played he's also been bad in a few as well because he's not a starting goaltender in the nhl so somebody's got to take the blame in this instance if you're gonna fire anybody it's always going to be the head coach first and i think probably again probably the fact that he is a hall of famer and he is a legend uh with the the, the la kings and with just in the nhl in general he's got a little bit more leeway than i think another guy would in that position but i don't necessarily think it's his fault altogether anyway he's not getting fired no, no it's easier to replace a coaching staff than it is to try to maneuver across the league 15 games in and move a star player off your roster unless you're yeah. desperate right i mean it's easier to fire the coach and i think john stevens is just a product of what la's failed to do uh for their team with roster management honestly i i, I don't think it's it was stevens fault whatsoever but uh looking back at anaheim uh, it's it's going to be Dallas Eakins if they make any change well, here coming yeah. up. And, and, and it's probably going to happen. I don't really foresee this Ducks team going on this tear where they went, they you know, they lose seven in a row and come back and win seven or eight in a row and, and cause damage in this division. This is a weak team as much as I love them. Um, you know, it's not like I'm here to bash the team. It's just not, they're not at that level right now. But uh, did you want to move on to some questions? We have anybody in our social media universe that uh, offered us some uh, some questions for us? Yeah, we had a couple. Uh, we had a few on Instagram that I'll get to right now. Let's see. Was it when we were going to fire Carlisle? So, one of those? Yeah, most of them were last time. They actually weren't this time. I think <laughs> it's probably because they won. Um, but uh, Canadian Girl asked, if Getzlaff doesn't play after tonight, are we going to be okay? So if Getzlaff is out for... Let's just say L.A. and Calgary because they're back-to-back. Are the Ducks going to be okay? No. If he's out for the next two games? Yeah, or just if he's out for a, a, a decent period of time. L.A. is so going to be a close game, I feel like, whether he plays or not. I mean, these teams play hard against each other. They don't need a coach to rile them up. But uh, I think Calgary is more dangerous than L.A., and I think the Ducks need to look out for them. Uh, and anytime you don't have Getzloff, you're going to have a lesser chance of winning. I don't care who it's against. He, he plays such a dominant role on the ice physically, intelligently. When he controls the puck, he slows the game down. Um, I feel like Getzloff yeah. missing at any, at any game in the lineup is a big problem. No, I, I think so. I, I mean, the way he's kind of led this team, and I know a lot of people have been critical of that this year, but I think he's done a great job of being a leader on this team this year and trying to at least get something out of his teammates. He's been great, I think, in most of the games that he's played in. So any considerable amount of time that he's out of this lineup, the Ducks are going to struggle. They did okay without him in this game, but it's one game. And we'll see when they go into L.A. if they can deal with that if he's not playing. And I think the the tougher game would be the back-to-back against Calgary, not having him in against a a significantly better team than, than the Kings and the Flames. And then just it being a back-to-back game and, and having some tired legs, he's usually a guy that's going to be out there making things happen. So hopefully he's back for both of those games and he's back because, I mean, you look at the schedule coming up, they've got L.A., Calgary, Minnesota, Nashville, Vegas, Toronto, and Colorado. Just to name the next few games. And then after that, you've got two of the division-leading teams in Edmonton and Vancouver, which is uh, it, it does not get easy. It does not get easier. It gets harder from here. The, the matchups you have coming up are a lot more difficult than what the Ducks have faced lately, and they just dropped seven games to uh, against some teams they arguably should have beat. If you look at like the Sabres and the Rangers and, and even Philadelphia to some extent, they, those are games they probably should have won. Oh, yeah, and now 100%. you're going again. Yeah, and now you're going against significantly harder 
opponent. So um, I don't want to dwell. I mean, we'll get into that later if we have some time. I wanted to look around the Pacific, but I know we're crowd, uh, approaching an hour here, so we'll see if we have time for that. Um, we had a question from his harness or his hairness, sorry, on Instagram. He asked uh, thoughts on Eve's play so far and whether you think he would get back to where he was before the illness. Uh, he's played decent. Uh, he's been involved, but he's he's not going to be the guy that we saw two years ago. It's, it, he's just not going to be. He's going to be a role player. Uh, he's probably going to pot 15, 15, 20 goals a season. I feel like when Getzloff's healthy, it's it's all indicative on Getzloff health, in my opinion, and he plays on, on the top line. Otherwise, you're not going to see Eves go ahead and put up you know career numbers again. I mean, he's over 30 putting up those numbers in a situation that was prime for him. I don't see it happening again. He's not a bad player, but I, I think he needs the guys around him to create for him to put him in, uh, get him in opportunistic situations for him to perform. Yeah, I, I don't think even even if he came back and the illness wasn't a factor, I don't think he was going to be the same player that uh, we had seen when he was playing with Ryan Getzlaff and he was playing in Dallas with Sagan and Ben. I don't think he is a consistent 30 obviously not a consistent 30 goal score let alone a consistent 20 goal score i think he was just having a great season that year playing with some great teammates and then being uh, on in a, in a great position playing on the first line and playing some power play with with some really successful teams that year so not to say he's not going to have an impact for this team i just don't think he's a guy when you look at maybe the top three or four scores on your team he's a guy you can rely on to be that type of guy i think he is a decent top nine player who can provide some good secondary scoring if you put him with a guy that can get him the puck in those areas. But uh, I think more of his impact is going to be what we saw like on uh, Cam Fowler's goal, where he, he makes a play behind the net, wins the puck battle, and goes to the front of the net and, and creates a screen. It's, it's not going to be plays where you necessarily see it show up on the score sheet, but it's going to be the little things that he does right that help this team win games. No, I would agree. I'm, I'm, right, with, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, last question we had was on Reddit from Herb You Stinks. Uh, he said, what is the status of cash of, at this point? It's a concussion. Um, it comes and goes as it pleases along with uh, any of its ill effects. Uh, Eric Stevens has already answered this question a, new, uh, a number of times online saying, you can't put a timetable on it. Either he has yeah. symptoms or he doesn't. And I'm not trying to, you know, to, to get you know, a, a rude point across here to the question. But uh, honestly, it's just he's day-to-day. That's what it is. He's day-to-day, and when he gets cleared by the team doctors, he'll be on the ice. And I know he was close last week, but obviously he might have had some setbacks because knowing this team and their lack of offense, they would want a guy like that on the ice. So I think Kasha, unfortunately, is still suffering effects from uh, a preseason game against the Kings. No, uh, and we have no idea when he's going to get back. The, the last part of his question, Saying, will we ever return to a healthy team? Yeah, yeah, at some point we will, but I, I think you got to stop blaming it on just the injuries. Joseph brings up a good uh, point in our YouTube chat. He says, You look at the Vancouver Canucks and the fact that they're still winning games and they don't have Edler, they don't have Tanner, they don't have Bearcher, or they don't have Sutter in the lineup. I mean, those are significant players for that roster and they don't have them in the lineup and they're still winning games. Now, of course, they have a dynamic player in Elias Pedersen and, and another uh, elite player in, in Brock Besser as well. But, I mean, their roster is arguably worse than the Anaheim Ducks, you would say, even with who the Ducks have out of the lineup at this point. And they're still able to win games, and, and they're playing in a system that they want to play in, and that's working for them. So at some point, you have to stop blaming it on the entries because, yeah, if you get you know, Andre Kasha back in the lineup, if you get... Corey Perry back in the lineup. If you get Josh Manson back in the line, things might get marginally better. But I don't think that they're necessarily going to get better to the point that the Ducks are going to be winning, you know, go on a seven-game winning streak or, or be a team that we expected them to be at the start of the season. I just don't think with the current management they have in place that they're going to be that team. No, I would agree, man. They have to find another way, right? So they have to do. Yeah. I, I don't think any of, the, any of these major changes that are going to be happening or anything that's going to move the needle – uh, far enough to make this team ultra competitive but uh do you have anything else you want to get to man are we are we going to go ahead and wrap tonight i yeah i, I was going to go and and we were going to do a segment that we we're going to start called around the division but i think we'll save that for next time i mean i will briefly run through a little bit of what's going on in the division but i think we were running short on time i'm just looking i mean just the fact honestly in the pacific division that the top three teams are calgary vancouver and edmonton 
is just insane to think of that. I mean, That's the way unreal. we thought the Sharks were going to play. It's unreal. It, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, and and you look at I mean, Elias Patterson is just unbelievable. The guy misses six games because of a concussion, comes back, doesn't miss a beat, has a five-point game the other night. He's up to nine goals and 15 points in nine games. Vancouver Canucks are rolling, and, and it's like they replaced the Sedins with this kid, and he's doing everything for them. Then you look at the Flames, who are just playing a complete team game. They've got everything going for them. Johnny Goodrow, Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monaghan, Elias Lindholm, they're, they're all doing well for them, so it's a team effort there. And then Edmonton, it, it's really the, the Connor McDavid show, and everybody's just kind of working with that. Nugent Hopkins is, is benefiting from playing with him, and they're getting some decent goaltending, and Things are starting to go well for them. And meanwhile, everybody else is struggling. The, the normal heavyweights, the Ducks, the Kings, they're all struggling. The Sharks are finally just starting to figure things out. But what a weird, weird start to the Pacific Division. I don't think it was what anybody expected. I mean, the Coyotes have just won five games in a row, and they outscored opponents 24-7. to And we're almost a quarter way through. That's the scary thing. We're yeah. almost a quarter way through the season You've got already. The, you get like the four, I guess you consider, bottom feeder Pacific teams that are all on a roll at this point point. and the only team that's somewhere close to what we thought they would be is the sharks but i thought they'd be a lot better at this point but yeah they're still trying to figure some things out but i mean just some of these teams especially you look at the flames the, the canucks the oilers and the coyotes are just on a roll at this point and the coyotes were your team that you picked to be a dark horse team at the beginning of the season oh, no but it's they're early it's they're, early they're actually but they're, they're, trying, well. they're starting to figure things out. Yeah, yep. they, I mean, they've won five in a row. And like I said, they've outscored their opponents 24 to 7. That, you know, you don't just do that in a fluke. You have to be a good team to, to put the, together that type of run. And and they've been doing it. And it looks like what they were doing at the end of last season. So it's going to be tough if the Ducks are going to get back into this. they got to start winning games. Yep, 100%. Uh, before we wrap, we have a couple of exciting things going on this week. We have an interview with uh, the Athletics beat writer for the Los Angeles Kings, Josh Cooper, will be coming on the show this week, uh, obviously talking about the recent firings of the uh, L.A. Kings coaching staff, but in turn that also flips and easily translates into what's going on in Anaheim because I know he also covers the Ducks somewhat. He's not, uh, he's not unaware of what's going on in Anaheim. He's very much in tune. So we'll get some good feedback from him. So those of you that have been tuning in, stay tuned to the to that interview here from uh, from Josh Cooper. And then we also have Max Jones coming on the show here. You know, Ducks highly touted prospect down in San Diego. He's agreed to come back on the show. So if you're listening, stay tuned for those two interviews. We have some exciting stuff coming up. Um, I'm waiting to get back on the shipping dates for the pucks. They've been sent in. The design has been sent in. They're being ordered. So those will be on their way here shortly. You guys won't have to wait too much longer here for Patreon. Uh, those of you who are part of the $10 here, we love you guys. We appreciate you and everybody else. But uh, those who put in the 10 bucks will get the, the puck bottle open with the Forever Mighty logo on it. Those who have put in, I'm just waiting back on the feedback for the exact takes for the ship. But, uh, Eddie, you got some uh, anything else you want to talk about here? No, that's it. I mean, if you guys want want to check out what pat was talking about for patreon we've had it scrolling across the screen but if you haven't seen it you can go to www.patreon.com slash puck guys forever mighty uh, we've got a bunch of bonus content we've already put out four bonus episodes uh, for the month of october and we'll be recording four more in november uh, for anybody that is uh, i think it's five and ten dollars we have bonus shows for each of those uh, and if you don't want to subscribe to that we do put bonus interviews that will be going up on there as well exclusive interviews bonus content uh different giveaways we've already given away a jersey through patreon already so far so we'll be doing a lot of different stuff throughout the season so just keep tabs on that yep that's it for us guys you know where to find us at uh twitter instagram and facebook forever mighty check us out uh obviously eddie's in charge of all the gifts and everything on twitter so if you want to follow along and keep track of everything online if you can't get to the game on live tv uh, hit us up on twitter there forever mighty but for all your post game needs you can find us on youtube and here on spreaker we love you guys, and we'll talk to you all on Tuesday night after the Ducks whoop on the Kings. Talk to you again.